Well, hello again. I am coming to you from my bedroom through a video, or maybe you're listening to the audio recording online. This sermon is for Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Um, and I'm doing this from my bedroom because Orchard Community Church, like pretty much all churches around the country um, and many around the world, still cannot gather publicly because of the COVID-19 virus that has spread through around our world. Uh, and we have to stay home. We have to stay away from and apart from each other. This sermon is the finale to our sermon series that we have called Scattered, the Hope of the Gospel in a Changing World. We are right now in our world facing a very complex situation, a virus spreading across the world, forcing everything to shut down, forcing us to stay home. And there are steps that we can try to take in our own lives. There are things that we can try to do to help stop the spread of the virus, but or, or at least to slow the spread of the virus. But there's really not much any one of us can do to completely get rid of this. We have a lot of questions and we're looking for answers all the time. What can we do? How much longer is this going to go on? How much longer before we can meet together again as a church? Is there a cure? Are there even reliable tests right now? When will we be able to get back to some sense of normal? Should I wear a mask when I go out? Should I not? Weeks ago, they said not to. I think as, in the, uh, as of the last couple days, they're saying, yes, you should wear a mask. Can I get together with other people or not? The answers we're getting through media or, or through the government, they can be confusing. They're changing often. And I think a lot of this is because the experts are still trying to figure this out for themselves. It's a complex problem and it takes time. Complex problems cause complex suffering. The things that we would normally do to overcome simple things in our lives just don't work with this. They're not powerful enough to change the situation. They might help with small things. But it's a very complex problem. Many people are lonely. People are feeling financial hardships. They're isolated because we can't get together. Any sense of normalcy is gone. I mean, how many of us are waking up going, what day is it anymore? Every day has become like the next over and over again. In times of suffering like this, it's a harsh reminder, but a good reminder. We are not in control. We're not powerful over these situations. We're not in control of these situations. And as we finish up looking at 1 Peter by, by giving kind of an overview of the series, I want to remind us that Peter is writing this letter of 1 Peter to Christians who are suffering, who are struggling, who realize they are not in control of the situations they are going through. They are suffering because of their faith. Because they came to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And that has changed everything about them. But because of that, they're being shunned by their world. Family members are turning against them. Friends are turning against them. Society is looking at them with suspicion, wondering if these religious weirdos are trying to overthrow the social or, or political order of their culture. 
Peter's audience, the recipients of this letter, are suffering because of their faith. Now, there are some kind of obvious answers within their control that they could try. I'm not saying they're good answers, but they might be tempted to think about these things. They could, to stop some of their suffering, just change what they believe a little bit. They could give in a little, maybe tone down some of the more radical ideas. I mean, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that's a bit out there. Maybe they could give that one up. Or maybe they could quit talking about sin, because nobody wants to hear that. That's kind of a negative subject. They could give that one up. Or maybe they could give up the idea that you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. That would probably reduce a lot of suffering for them. They could also change their behavior. Maybe they hold on to what they believe. They just change how they live it out. They could believe in Jesus, maybe go to church and worship out of belief in Jesus, say amen to sermons and scripture about Jesus, but then live like everybody else. Those are ways they could give in. They could, in their own power, maybe alleviate some of their suffering. Truth is, they could give up being Christians altogether. Now, those are temptations in suffering. We're facing a unique suffering in our world today with the spread of this COVID-19 virus. During this pandemic, we're not suffering because of our faith. Let's be very careful. I, I, I want to clearly separate what we're going through from what the readers of First Peter were going through. This virus is not targeting a certain race. It's not targeting a certain religion. It's not targeting us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are suffering along with all people groups around the world. But I do believe that all suffering, no matter what its root cause or how we are going through it, all suffering will inevitably cause us to question what we believe. Like Peter's readers, we might be tempted to give in in some ways. We might be tempted to change some things about what we believe in order to make ourselves feel a little bit better. As we suffer, we need to think about how we suffer as Christians. How will our response to our suffering demonstrate our faith in Jesus Christ to a world that is watching us, that is watching to see if we suffer as they do, or will we demonstrate hope? Our actions and our attitudes in suffering demonstrate the hope and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. I called the series Scattered, The Hope of the Gospel in a Changing World, because when I started this sermon series many months ago, I was thinking about the, the changing uh, culture that we were all living in with radical changes about things that have been assumed for so long. Things such as marriage or gender that were never questioned, and yet now they are. And I was thinking about how do we look to scripture and see that it holds up confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what the changes are, no matter what suffering we're going through. And that's still true. We as Christians need to think hard about these things and go deep in our faith to say, am I holding on to the unchanging gospel, even as culture changes around us? 
Now, little did I know back then, we would be going through an, a, a more immediate and obvious radical change in our world, this pandemic and this virus that is spreading and the fear that spreads along with it. But I believe the hope of the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to save us from our sins and rose from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe, that truth doesn't change. And I believe it brings hope no matter what suffering we're going through, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. I believe as Christians, we are going through a time, like Peter's readers, of being scattered. We are becoming strangers in our own culture. And I'm not talking about the virus right now. I'm talking about living as Christians in a world that doesn't accept what we believe. Now, because of the virus, we're living as exiles in, in a, again, a more immediate sense. We can't get together. We can't see each other. I, I have to look at you through. Well, I can't actually see you. I'm looking at a camera, which is really weird. You're looking at a screen and seeing me preach, which is weird too. We're scattered in a different way. But the truths, the truths that Peter talks about and writes about to his readers are just as true then as they are today and just as true for us in our suffering and our struggles, whatever we may be, whatever we may be going through. So as we wrap up this sermon series, I want to look at a couple of key themes in this letter of 1 Peter. And the first is this, we need to know our identity in Jesus Christ. Christian, you need to know your identity in Jesus Christ. I am absolutely convinced this is the single most important thing for every Christian of all times to understand. There is a pattern throughout the New Testament, in the letters particularly, Paul's letters, and here we see it in Peter's letter, a pattern of spending almost the first half of the letter talking about identity in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's that important. These churches that were written to by Paul and now by Peter, they were going through different situations, different forms of suffering, different struggles. Some of them were internal, external. Some of them were remaining faithful but struggling with things. Some of them were not remaining faithful. But all of them needed to be reminded about their identity in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem. We want to skip past this study of our identity in Jesus Christ and just get to that part of telling us what we must do. I hear this at times as a pastor, you know, pastor, just tell me what I need to do. I don't want to think about all that other stuff. I, I get it. I accepted Jesus. I just want to know what I need to do. We have, I think, in, in contemporary Christianity, an overemphasis on application. In other words, tell me what I should do. Now, application is, is important. If we don't live out our faith, we can't really say that we believe it. So we must live it out. We must apply it. But this overemphasis on application shows that we still think we are in control, that we have this illusion that we can live a Christian life but not truly trust in Jesus Christ. We think all too often, if we can just jump to the right things to do, then we will live a life that pleases God. 
And so we need to look at our identity in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I've read this in many sermons throughout this series. I want to read it again. This is where Peter starts, and it is so important to understand what it means to be saved, because this is the foundation of our identity in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice where it starts. It doesn't start with what we do. It starts with what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of our identity in Christ. God through Christ, has given us mercy. We could not fix ourselves. He gave us mercy. And because of Jesus Christ, we have a new birth. We are created as new people in Jesus Christ. The old us is dead, buried, and gone, just like Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried in the grave. And we have a new birth into a living hope because our Savior rose from the grave. This is the new birth and the new hope we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have the future hope, this inheritance kept for us in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. A certain and secure future in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and with Jesus Christ. And no suffering, no current situation, no matter how awful, and no matter the questions that pop into our head, Nothing can take that away from us. We have a certain and secure future in Jesus Christ. And even if, or as Peter would say, when we go through suffering, we know that God uses even those times for our good and for his glory. We have hope in the suffering that God never wastes what we go through, but he uses it for our good and his glory. And as we go through suffering, we know as we've looked, God always has an end date on the suffering. It will end. One day, we will be with Jesus forever and ever. That is our hope. And that will be the end date of all suffering forever. This is our identity in Jesus Christ. We are people who have received the mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ. By his death, burial, and resurrection, he has made us new. And in him, we have a certain and secure future, a hope, and a future to be with him forever and ever. But how did he do this? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. 
He, Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Peter says Jesus took our sins upon himself and he went to the place of punishment for us. We are people and we can know that we are people that have had our sins paid for by Jesus Christ when he bore our sins on the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross and paid for it. And when he rose from the grave, he gives us his righteousness in our new life, in him. This is not something we must do. It's not even something we can do. It is something that Christ has done for us, died in our place, rose from the dead, and promises eternal life. So much of what Peter tells these people to do, or what he's teaching them in their suffering, is nothing new. It's not even specific to their situation. He is simply telling them, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. We need the same reminder today, desperately, In this epidemic, we are not hopeless. We are not lost. The future is not completely unknown. After this epidemic ends, and it will, we will still have to live in a world that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. We, like Peter's recipients, must face suffering because of our faith. And because of that, we must know who we are in Jesus Christ. What does this look like? What does it look like to know and to live our identity in Christ? Peter helps us with two important ideas here. Look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. And what he's saying there is take this identity in Christ that you are trusting in and live it out. He's not saying do this so that you're a good person. He's saying do this because of who you are in Jesus Christ. So we need to live our identity in Christ. The second thing he tells us to apply this idea of who we are in Christ is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. These things are out of line with who we are in Christ. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, grow up, get to know your identity in Jesus Christ. And when you know it, get to know it more. And when you know your identity in Christ more, get to know it even more. We never 
get to move on from knowing our identity in Jesus Christ because there's always more to know. This is not this idea that I received Jesus years and years and years ago and now I'm just living for him. This is, I need to be reminded every single day I am dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ because my Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross in my place and rose from the grave. That is our identity in Jesus Christ. Underneath every problem and every possible solution is the most important question any one of us can ever ask and an important question I believe we will ask ourselves constantly whether we realize it or not. And it is this question. Who am I? Who are you? Peter gives that answer to his readers because he knows they're asking that question. He knows they're suffering with the persecution in their culture. And he reminds them, you have been given mercy by God through new life in Jesus Christ, through his death and burial and resurrection. To be a Christian is not first about what we must do or can do. It is first and foremost about accepting and understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. Christian, know who you are in Jesus Christ. If we get this wrong, then our suffering will shake the very foundations of our lives because our foundations will not be strong enough. But when our foundation is based on who we are in Jesus Christ, then nothing in this world, no amount of suffering, no virus that spreads, will be able to change this essential essential truth of our identity in Jesus Christ. So Peter spends the first half of this letter emphasizing and explaining who we are in Jesus Christ. Then in the last half, he emphasizes what we should do, and it starts with this idea. You ready? We should be strange. Now, some of you right now are rejoicing because you're thinking, I got this. Oh, I'm strange. I am way out there. Everybody says I'm totally weird. You might want to wait until I explain what I mean by this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says this. After telling them who they are in Jesus Christ, he says, and this is kind of the conclusion of his first uh, part of the letter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the, praise, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that phrase there where the NIV says you are God's special possession, the King James says a peculiar people. Peculiar means strange, different, unique. The idea here that Peter is saying is that we are different because we have been chosen by God, because we have received mercy through Jesus Christ, because we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We are different. We must be different. This makes us peculiar, unique, strange, God's special possession. Through Christ, we belong to God. 
This makes us different than the world. It must make us different than the world. We have a different identity. Our identity is not based on us and what we want or what makes us happy in the moment or what society considers normal or good. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And this gives us a different mission to live as God's special people in this world. This means that in this world's way of thinking and looking at us, we will often appear strange. Look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, don't live like the people around you. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, look, you are called to be different, God's special possession. And because of this, you have a different mission than the rest of the world. You have a mission to live in such a way that demonstrates your identity in Christ, that demonstrates the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others will look at us and see the difference that Christ makes. They will look at us and see the glory of God at work. Not our glory, not our difference, not our efforts. They can get that in their own lives. What they need to see is something different, something strange. They need to see the mercy of of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in us and through us. And this means we need to have a strange response to suffering. Look at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So the first strange response is, don't be surprised. See, our world has this idea of normal. And normal is a good life, a happy life, in control, everything going your way. As Christians, we understand we are living in a sinful world, a fallen world, a world that doesn't understand their creator, that has rejected him, a, a world that will not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ or doesn't accept it. And so when we say we trust in Jesus, we will appear strange and we will go through suffering. We also know through scripture, we live in a sinful, broken, messed up world. And there are sinful, broken, messed up things like viruses or hurting people or broken relationships. All of these things can bring suffering. And as Christians, our first response is to understand we shouldn't be surprised. We should not be surprised at suffering. The second strange response to suffering is to see that God has a purpose in our suffering. That he never wastes it, but he uses it for our good and his glory. Peter says here, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Now, this is not a test like a pass-fail test. This is a test like a refining test. To purify, to make stronger the third response to suffering that is strange to this world is to use suffering as a window to joy. When we know that Christ will come back, when we know that whatever we're going through is only temporary, 
No matter how long it lasts, it is still only temporary. It has an end date in Jesus Christ. We can then look at that suffering and say, I know something that is true no matter what I'm going through right now. That beyond this moment and this hurt and this pain, I will be with Jesus forever with no more hurt or suffering or pain. And so we can look at suffering and respond even with joy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, and here's another strange response. He says, to this, this kind of suffering for your faith even, to this you were called. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. We believe in a suffering Savior. So as followers of a Savior who suffered, we should not be surprised that our path may lead through suffering as well. Christ's sufferings are an example for us. And the world will never understand following willfully a suffering Savior. As we live our out, as we live out our identity in Christ, we must dare to be strange, to be different than this world. We are to live differently than this world because we are different. We have a different identity in Jesus Christ. We are made new in Christ. We have new lives in Christ. We have an unshakable hope in Christ. And we have a secure future in Christ. If that doesn't make us live different, I don't know what will. All of this truth, this truth of our identity in Christ and our future in Christ must cause us to live differently now. And this will cause the world to look at us and to think that we are strange. But it will also cause them to look at us and say, why? Why do they live this way? Why do they trust in this identity in Jesus Christ? And that becomes a gospel opportunity in the midst of suffering. Let me give us one more checklist. This is how Peter ends his letter, and I want to end this way as well. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to go through these one at a time. Look at verse 6. This is a final checklist for whatever suffering we may be going through. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. To humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, is to recognize you are not in control. That's our role. Our humility is to admit and recognize we are not in control. God is God. We are not. And then that he may lift you up is a recognition that God has an end date for the suffering, has a purpose through it. He is lifting us up even through our suffering. And there is a destination for us, prepared for us by God, and his hand is carrying us there for our good and for his glory. Look at verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Are we casting our anxiety on God? Are we giving it to him, casting, throwing it on him because he is secure? He is strong enough to hold it and to carry it. Are we bringing our fears to him and trusting that he is powerful and that he truly does care? 
So are we humbling ourselves and trusting God to lift us up? Are we casting our anxiety on him and trusting that he cares for us? Look at verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Are we being alert and of sober mind? Are we focusing on knowing scripture, knowing our identity in Christ, trusting in that, reminding ourselves day in and day out, watching for ways that we might be without even knowing it, or maybe we do know it, ways that we might be giving into this world to change what we believe, to change the way we act, just to fit in and be normal. Are we alert? Verse 9, resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Hold on to your identity in Christ, and this is how you will resist the devil. Hold on to who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. And when Satan comes along and makes accusations and says, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you're going to fail, you say to him, you're right, but Christ is stronger. And I'm not who I am in me, I'm who I am in Jesus Christ. In verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Remember, suffering is for a little while. There is an end date to this virus or whatever suffering you're going through, to all the suffering of the world. There is an end date. Christ is coming back. And those saved by Jesus Christ will be with him forever in glory. And finally, verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. As we go through suffering, are we trusting that God is powerful? Are we holding on to that no matter what comes, no matter what we think, no matter what comes on the television or across the internet, are we declaring to ourselves and to a watching world, God is more, is more powerful than anything else? As we close this series, let's truly take to heart Peter's emphasis on holding on to the unchanging hope of the gospel, no matter what changes we go through in this world, no matter the situations and no matter the suffering. Let's hold on to the truth that the gospel is the good news, that we have new life in Jesus Christ, a certain future in Christ, and that God's power is at work even in our present suffering. Let us live differently in this world. Live out our identity in Christ. Respond differently to suffering, even if that makes us look strange to this world, because this world has seen enough of normal things. They need to see the strangeness of the mercy of God through lives transformed by the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you have questions right now. When will this virus end? When can we gather as a church? Will we remain healthy? Who's going to get sick? Who might die? Maybe you have other questions in your life right now, not related to this virus. We need to have one answer underneath all of these questions. 
one solution that is our solid bedrock that will never shake or crumble, a foundation for everything else we believe and how we face each and every day. We need to know who we are in Jesus Christ and then live out that truth in our lives for the world to see. Christians, the world is watching. They're watching as we suffer. And I know that might seem strange because we're locked in our homes, but they're watching our social media posts. They're, they're watching our attitudes as we're out taking walks in our neighborhood. They'll watch as we come back together and the words that we use to talk about this time. They are watching. What will they see? Let's show them the powerful and unchanging hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the unchanging hope of the gospel. And thank you for this book of 1 Peter as we have gone through it. God, we can go through it over and over and over again and know more about our identity in Christ. And I thank you that you use so many books in scripture to tell us that because we need to hear it just as the early church did. We need to hear it over and over again. And I pray for every person watching or listening right now. If they have never received Jesus Christ, and they don't have that identity of who they are in Christ, may today be the day that they say, you are God and I am not. That they accept that Jesus Christ died to make them new. And may they accept this new identity that is theirs through what Christ has done for them through his death, burial, and resurrection. And God, for those who have received Christ. May we continue to grow in that, to go deeper, not just to move on and to try to get to the action stuff and what we must do, but may we truly be amazed as we read scripture, amazed at who you have made us through your son, Jesus Christ. And may that, that, may that be the hope that holds us firm, no matter what we're going through. And God, I pray for those that are struggling with doubts and concerns right now. I pray that they would live out the hope they have in Jesus Christ. May they be encouraged by those around them and their family or those that can reach out to them through email or phone call. May they be pointed to their identity in Christ and, and may they live and demonstrate the strangeness of holding on to this truth even as our world is falling apart so that the world may see the eternal and unchanging hope of the gospel as this world changes so quickly around us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. A couple of announcements. This next week is Easter. We're not going to be able to gather as a church. I've tried to look into some options, a service in the parking lot with people staying in their cars. We've been talking, I've been talking with other pastors about this and possibility, maybe something will come up, but right now I just don't think it's possible. I am hoping on Friday night to either have another sermon, uh, another message for you, or possibly some sort of online gathering. I'm looking into that as well. I'll let you know through the weekly email, and I'll post something in the, the, um, the Facebook group. If you're not a part of the Orchard Community Church Facebook group, you might want to sign up there if you're on Facebook. On Easter Sunday, I'll, again, I'll have another video sermon. But again, I'm hoping for something, Some whether it's a video call or just all of us jumping on Facebook at the same time, something to join us together to remind us we are not completely isolated. We are bonded together through Jesus Christ. Again, 
I'll make sure that we get that news out to you through the the website and through email um, and through the Facebook group. We are posting more and more resources on Orchard Community Church website. Uh, There is a section called, um, I can't remember what I called it. I think it's like coronavirus isolation resources or something like that. Uh, In there are the, the videos for the sermons. Um, there are some devotional websites you can check out. There are some worship things that Pastor Al is working on, things for children and youth that he's doing. Check that and check it often. There are a lot of things going on there to help you grow in your relationship with Christ during this time. And if you are in need right now, whether it's because of this virus or something out else, reach out to me. My email is dave at orchardcommunitychurch.com or you can call me on my cell phone. I'm not going to give that out on the recording. If you have the church directory, you can get a hold of that. You can reach out to any of the elders or anybody else in the church. Let's help one another out in any way that we can. May God bless you this week and keep you strong because of your identity in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.